0: Stocks rise and you feel like a superstar who knows how to pick them. Suddenly they drop. Now you're in a cold panic.
1: If you get anxiety just thinking about the ups and downs of investing, well, you're not the only one. It's tough to save money to invest in the first place, so it stings to watch your investments evaporate.
0: Welcome to Stress Test, a personal finance podcast for millennials and Gen Z. I'm Rob Carrick, personal finance columnist at the Globe and Mail.
1: And I'm Roma Lucio, Personal Finance Editor at The Globe. Today, we're talking about the ups and downs of investing in the stock market. If you're one of the many new investors who jumped into the market during the pandemic, you've now lived through your first bit of market turbulence. You could be dealing with a whole lot of emotions, nervousness, anxiety, uncertainty. Rob, have you ever been swayed by stock market volatility? Hell yeah.
0: You know, I remember when tech stocks were first a big thing. I remember buying all kinds of junk. You know, I thought I was missing out. I wanted to be part of it. You know, I did make a little money at first, but that's always the way it is. You always succeed early on. And then I uh, had my lunch handed to me by the stock markets. And I learned that, uh, you know, to sit it out when things get really crazy, but you know, I do feel the pressure to sell when stocks are falling. And I do feel like missing out when stocks rise. It's that's human nature. I don't believe anyone who says that they don't fall victim to that. How often do you check your your investments?
1: Uh, Not too often. (laughs) Definitely not uh, daily or weekly. Uh, I'm a busy woman. I have a job and a family and a life. And frankly, I don't have the stomach for daily check-ins like that. Now, I did have a look a few weeks ago. And uh, like most people, my investments took a hit in 2022 and uh, not a small one. But uh, they've rebounded nicely so far this year. The reality is that uh, I'm still young and I don't need to access that many anytime soon. I'm going to leave it there and hope it keeps growing. But Rob, I do remember my first market downturn, that feeling of what is happening right now. Uh, there was a whole lot of uncertainty around that time, similar to what we're uh, feeling now. We have soaring inflation, high interest rates, possible recession. With all of these question marks, I can understand why some people are scared off. Rob, does everyone need to invest?
0: Yeah, I think everyone does need to invest if they want to achieve their long-term financial goals. You know, interest rates are quite high now, but historically, they've been too low to generate the returns that we need to retire comfortably. So I think you're going to need to have some money in the stock market. You know, you can't, uh, you can't retire comfortably. Most people can't anyway on a savings account that earns 1-2% interest, which is what we're probably going to go back to eventually after, uh, after rates taper off and, and inflation comes down.
1: Mm-hmm. So buckle in, get ready, and get used to these ups and downs.
0: You know what? As you get into the stock market as a young person, you're embarking on a life of constant stress with moments of elation in there. That's what stock market investing is. But you can trust in the fact that if you put 10, 20, 30, 40 years in the stock market, you're going to average out quite a good return and it's going to be better than what you get from safe investments.
1: Amen. After the break, we'll speak to a millennial who started investing during the pandemic.
2: Okay, my first name is Tejas. I am 38 years old and I live in Mississauga.
1: Tejas started investing when the pandemic lockdowns began in the spring of 2020.
2: You know, a friend of mine had been recommending uh, it to me. I never really paid attention. But then with all the stock market turmoil at the start of the pandemic, um, I thought I'd take a look into it. So it's very I'm a very new, recent investor.
1: He used a popular investing app and invested in ETFs and stocks that he picked directly. Then the market started its three-year rollercoaster ride.
2: I did not, I mean, as a new person, I did not expect it to be that many ups and downs. Uh, like I followed the, uh, the GameStop mania, uh, and that was a pretty wild uh, time. But otherwise, it was a lot of, um, like, I was not prepared for the level of ups and downs that happened. You know, for example, some stocks, they were at a quarter of their value uh, at the, from their peak. Having to go through that at the roller coaster, you know, like to handle your losses uh, and to manage your gains, like that has been quite a learning experience. And I... It took me a while, like about a year or so, for me to finally get a grip on, my, uh, you know, on how not to do things emotionally uh, and to just uh, do it at a calm and steady pace.
1: Removing emotions from the equation, that's easier said than done. But Tejas is working on it after learning his lesson the hard way.
2: I I lost out uh, on massive gains on a stock. It was losing value, so I dumped all of it. The next day, a press release came out, and the stock was, went up by you know uh, nearly a thousand percent. So that really you know I, it, I was pissed off with myself for about a week uh, for that. So you know if the stock is going down, don't don't react immediately. Take a minute, step away from it. Come back to it a day or two later, uh, and then and then uh, take the action. Uh, if it goes down, you know I I do have some sort of mental uh, markers uh, at which point I, you know I have to make a decision. So that is how I have like that. That's my rule. You know I have my own benchmarks, and once the stock trips that price, that's when I take the action. But otherwise, I don't panic uh, immediately. I've seen a lot of ups and downs uh, for uh, which happen for no reason. He's
1: taken his hits, but Tejas plans to keep investing.
2: Uh, It started out as a curiosity, but at this point, I am looking to build wealth through it. Um, And uh, so, so far, uh, what I've looked at about, I've tried to maintain about $5,000 per year in terms of investing uh, in the stock market. So that's that's my expectation. I am uh, rather risk averse. So I have my, my portfolio I think reflects that to a great extent uh, as well so i would I would rather take a somewhat safe stock with um, you know steady and reasonable returns as opposed to something that has a higher risk so, you know like now I wish I had started a bit earlier so that my uh, body of knowledge uh, on which to base my decisions would have been greater um, but you know better better late than never for sure so I'm glad I got into it and um, I hope to continue doing more research and making more informed decisions and investing uh, uh, more and more uh, in the stock market.
1: Next, we'll speak to an independent investment consultant about why investors are nervous and how they can endure these big swings in the stock market.
0: Daryl Brown is an independent investment consultant based in Toronto. Here's our conversation. Daryl, many of our listeners are newer investors who might be feeling a little uncertain after the stock market went into reverse last year after such a great 2021. What causes such big swings in the stock market?
3: So I think the key thing that has caused the swing in the stock market, especially in the last couple of years are the outlook for corporate profits. And that's a key factor in measuring how much investors want to pay for owning a company or a basket of companies like you would in the stock market. So from the unfreezing of the pandemic, the outlook for corporate profits was actually quite good, um, despite I think the misery we were all experiencing. But as this was happening, The costs for which companies were paying for things like people, label and materials, um, those accelerated. Um, Costs for everything have gone up, and we can see this in our day-to-day lives. Same for companies. This is part of the inflation story that we've all been hearing about. And because a company's profits takes into consideration not just their sales, but their costs for people and materials, um, when they generate those sales, it means their overall profits have actually gone down over a little bit of time. And they've uh, actually gone down significantly. um, And the expectation has gone down um, significantly. It means that investors are not willing to pay as much for owning a company or a basket of companies as they would in the stock market. Um, And it means that overall, um, the price for those investments um, has started to decline and leveled off a bit.
0: So basically, investors are kind of pessimistic about how well the companies they're investing in are going to do and they're selling. Is that is that basically a summary of what's going on?
3: There is some pessimism, but part of the story is really a reduction in their forward expectations. It's not that they think companies are going to do poorly. It's just that at one point, they thought companies were going to do a lot better than it seems like they might be doing today in light of current news.
0: So if you're going to invest in stocks, swings like this are going to be part of the permanent landscape, correct?
3: That's right. The swings in 2021, while they were significant um, and for which I describe as a correction, not necessarily a crash, those will continue to be a phenomenon of investing in the stock market. So what does that
0: mean? I mean, I, I basically have to get punched in the face
3: by my investments every couple of years. Um, Pretty much. No one can ever really predict when corrections happen. So for investors, young and old, um, expect them to be part of your investing journey, your long-term investing journey, um, and resist the urge to try and time those corrections in the market. So how does what
0: we've seen lately in the past couple of years compare on the awfulness scale?
3: It's pretty awful um, across the board. Um, In particular, due to the fact that people are just coming out of You know, the realities of being in lockdown for a couple of years, Um, they're dealing with their day to day expenses going up, which is causing a lot of anxiety. Uh, And then they're dealing with their investments fluctuating in value. But on top of all that, the market changes have actually been fairly similar. Um, and so while the trend is still supportive, and I think that there is a reason to continue to own stocks, we've seen this type of correction happen in the market, let's say in 2009, coming off the lows of the financial crisis. About a year after the lows of the crisis, we did experience a very similar correction. So from a purely investing standpoint, this is familiar territory, but we're now layering in the stresses of day-to-day living on top of that.
0: So, I made a lot of money in twenty twenty one let's say, and I lost a bunch of money in twenty twenty two What do you tell someone who's trying to who's head spinning they're trying to figure out is it worth investing in stocks for the long term? What's your answer?
3: Figuring out the objective for your pot of money is the first place to start so if you've got a specific and short term financial objective in mind, let's say it's a down payment on a house or you've got to buy a new car because your existing one is broken down. If you've got something that's specific and short-term in nature, you should not be investing in the stock market. That money should be set aside in something that is very secure, like a GIC or high-interest savings account. But if you are looking at putting aside money for a long-term objective like retirement, that could be many decades away, again, expect these type of corrections to happen in the stock market, assuming that you have an emergency fund set aside. Emergency fund being three to six months of your living expenses, then some of these corrections can actually be an opportune time to further invest in your portfolio, and with the benefit of hindsight, it that has shown to be um, an action that has um, that has borne fruit for investors. You can invest in these periods of turmoil of stress. And assuming you have a long-term time horizon, that has proven to be a successful investing strategy. So you're
0: telling me that when everything looks terrible out there, that's when I should be putting money into the market and not
3: taking it out. The saying goes, be greedy when others are fearful, be fearful when others are greedy. It's a fairly well-known, I think, investing uh, phraseology. And I think that is uh, one that younger investors can integrate into their investment decision making.
0: But here's the thing. When you're putting your money in, when things are bad and they get worse, you feel like an idiot and you think, I did exactly the wrong thing. Um, how do you coach people through all the second guessing they're going to be doing when they follow the greatest investing advice, editor, which is to buy low?
3: Well, the first order of action for any investor, in particular young ones, is get rid of any of your investing trading apps or anything that exists on your phone. Um, you may not pick the precise bottom of the market Today, next week, next month, or next year. But investments should be made with the idea that this is a long term action that you're making, that it could be five, six, seven years before your investments show positive returns. And that's okay. If you're not taking out your money for a decade or more, it's very unlikely that you are going to pick the precise bottom of the market. And in the meantime, be prepared to open up your portfolio and perhaps see negative returns. And that's part of a very normal investing experience. Not trading, not day trading, but a normal part of a long-term investing experience. I love that you brought up
0: trading apps because when the market was peaking, there was this idea that investing was almost a sport or a game and you would just dial into your uh, into your account. You'd buy a few stocks, you'd uh, you'd see them go up, you'd sell them, you'd buy some more stuff. Everybody was killing it. And I'm wondering if you think that we have learned a lesson that that is absolutely not the way to go, this this sort of high-frequency, um, high-engagement trading where we're all over our investments all the time.
3: It's a recipe for disaster. Delete those trading apps. I don't have any other <laughs> sort of less clear advice.
0: Why? What is it about the trading apps specifically? Because I actually like them in some ways because they allow young investors to trade stocks with no commissions. And so that's a good thing. Instead of paying, let's say, 5 or $10 a crack, what's your argument for getting rid of them? Why should I, why should I not have my face in my account all the time?
3: Because then you're layering in your minute-by-minute minute emotions and The emotions of those around you, well-meaning friends and family into your own personal financial situation, which is going to be very different for each and every person. So it's not that I'm opposed to any of the trading apps per se, but having them readily available at your thumb right next to your Instagram or Twitter just doesn't make any sense. That is a recipe for an unsuccessful investing experience. Um, Definitely, I think investors should focus on understanding their own point of view, their own financial objectives, and their own emotional states away from the noise of everything on your phone, and then making a more rational and um, less emotionally charged decision when it comes to deploying more money into the markets or taking money out.
0: Daryl, as we're talking, you can get a pretty good return on safe cash type investments, either, you know, mutual funds or exchange traded funds that uh, route your money into high interest savings accounts. So you can get like four
3: to five percent on that right now. What about just putting all my money into that? That can make sense for certain investors, in particular if you have a short term savings objective in mind. I think that is a fantastic solution. But if you're a young investor who's got many decades to save for retirement, I think investing in something that has a, yes, a guaranteed and predictable return like a GIC or high interest savings at somewhere between 3 and 5%, it means that you are not benefiting from what historically has been a much greater rate of return that you would receive in the stock market. And there is risk associated with that over many decades. There is the risk that inflation does remain elevated and that your returns that you receive, while they're predictable and more guaranteed from those types of investments, it does not keep up with your purchasing power. So there's a bit of a trade-off. There's safety and modest returns, and those make sense for some investors. But if you have a very long-term time horizon the stock market is a more appropriate place to be for young investors. Do you think all young investors
0: need to have most of their investments in the stock market to to achieve their financial goals over the long term?
3: I do think that they have to have a significant amount of their investments in the stock market to reach long-term financial goals. It doesn't mean every single penny that you own, but there's a concept in investments called asset allocation. And, and that means the percentage of Your investments you have in stocks versus bonds. You might hear 60, 40, as in 60% stocks and 40% bonds in your portfolio. You might hear 80% stocks, 20% bonds, so 80, 20. And I think having an asset allocation that is fairly assertive in the range of 80% stocks and 20% in bonds makes sense for young investors who are looking to reach their longer-term financial goals. One of the investing
0: lessons that I think people picked up when the market was peaking is that it's kind of easy to do this investing thing and that Picking individual stocks that sound cool and promising sectors is a great way to make money. Um, and it really worked in 2021. There was a pullback in 2022, but I know that the next time the market is going to get hot again, there's going to be all this niche investing again. What's your advice to people? Should you be trying to pick the winning stocks in the winning sectors or do you like the idea of uh, index funds, cheap index tracking, uh, mutual funds or exchange traded funds? What is your preference?
3: I love exchange-traded funds, and in particular, what are called asset allocation exchange-traded funds. They are a low-cost way to get exposure to a broad basket of stocks in the market. And another saying that goes around is that it is time in the market as opposed to timing the market. So the best advice I can give for younger investors getting started is understand and Check out these specific types of ETFs alongside them, low cost index funds, and then not touching them. Really understanding that you are going to ride periods of market volatility, which includes the euphoria of market highs and then the dread of opening up your portfolio and seeing your investments down 10, 15% or more. But really, the most direct advice I can have for young investors is not to touch your investments. I'm really glad you brought up
0: asset allocation ETFs because um, I'm a big believer in those uh, for people who are a little bit unsure about how to get involved in investing. I think they're uh, for the long term, they're one of the greatest innovations possibly in all the years I've been covering investments. They're Basically, it's a diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds in one single purchase, and they come in different versions for conservative and middling and aggressive investors. Doubt, is that a good no-brainer first step for people who think, I need to get into investing, but
3: I'm not sure how? It absolutely is. There's one small caveat to asset allocation ETFs, and they are a little bit more challenging to purchase through your financial institution by comparison to some of the more traditional products. Now, when I mean challenging, I mean that you would have to open up an online brokerage account and purchase that specific ETF. And for some young investors, that is a very intimidating experience, but I think Opening up an online brokerage account is something that after listening to your podcast, you can go to your bank. They all have an online brokerage account. You can sign up to open up a TFSA direct investing account, an RSP account, a non-registered account. All of them are very easy to set up. And once you've done that, buying those specific asset allocation ETFs becomes a lot easier. The administrative part is a bit of a barrier for clients. But know that that's there and know that the benefit is having access to a more wide range of investment solutions out there that are low fee and properly diversified.
0: I would just like to add that the asset allocation option works well for first home savings accounts as well. Uh, FHSA is just launched on April 1st. And uh, I know at least one uh, one online broker, Quest Trade, is offering them. And um, if you want to build up your assets for a house down payment fifteen years from now, uh, I think asset allocation ETFs are a good option. Um, Daryl, let's talk a bit about appetite for risk. Um, people got hammered last year. Things are quite shaky so far in twenty twenty two. The people, uh, the investors you work with, what's their appetite for risk? How are they feeling about the stock market right now?
3: they're rattled but i don't think that they believe that these that this volatility in the market is unexpected i think a lot of the clients that i work with know to expect these very challenging periods Um, but in working with them i make sure that we understand what their financial objectives are so their risk appetite has really not changed when we have isolated that their funds may not be needed for 20 or 25 years or so and for funds that are needed on a more shorter term basis for specific objectives like a down payment on a house those were never invested in the market to begin with those had always been set aside in something that had less volatility like a gic or high interest savings
0: one thing that strikes me uh, in my interactions with readers is that people are getting more and more stressed about small things that are happening in the uh, in the financial world. For instance, in March there was that uh, a couple of U.S. banks that failed, and I was a bit surprised by how many people were emailing me asking about, um, you know, how safe are my deposits here at the banks in Canada? What about my investments? Um, do you think people are a little bit more sensitive to risk, and that there is a risk they may overreact if something bad happens in the stock? Market say in twenty twenty three
3: yes, and I think that's the product of the financial media landscape, which has shifted to include a lot of the names and voices that have been around for some time, and then um, social media, which you know is really tuned to sensationalize I think a lot of information out there, so young investors need to be careful. I think it is helpful to be informed, and I think it's helpful to seek insight. But know that any of these specific pieces of information maybe don't, and probably don't, result in any type of actionable response for your investments or your portfolio. Gerald,
0: one thing I've learned in all my years of covering the stock markets is that the stock market always comes back no matter what happens. I've seen seen the market fall for any number of reasons and I'm very confident, Will, what about you?
3: I'm confident. I know that there will be periods over the next several years where we'll have volatility coming from changes in inflation expectations or changes in the underlying economy, changes in interest rates, changes in our geopolitical landscape. Those are all going to be headlines and news events that are going to affect stock prices. However, history has shown that over longer term periods of time, the stock market has generated positive returns and returns that would exceed those that you would receive from safe, secure investments like GICs or short-term bonds.
0: Darrell, in closing, I'm wondering if you could give a little pep talk to a young investor who maybe has some success in 2021 and then had some setbacks last year and in 2023, they're wondering what the heck is going on.
3: I would say to those investors that what they've experienced while it feels terrible and is all of the anxiety-inducing things out there is perfectly normal for an investment experience. I've had plenty of investments which I've made, which have produced negative returns, sometimes significantly negative returns. But I've also had investments which I've held on to, which have offset those losses. You're never going to get it right every single time, all the time, forever and forever. I think it's probably tempting to say you want to be more right than wrong. But truthfully, when it comes to investing, I've come to adopt the phrase that it's helpful to be less wrong than you otherwise could be. It's a very humbling kind of way of approaching Human emotions and decision making when it comes to investing, but truly being less wrong by selecting low cost investing options, by not tinkering with your investments, by deleting trading apps from your phone, by tuning out well meaning family and friends who may have advice that is not aligned with your objectives. All of those will help you be less wrong. In your investing journey and that's going to produce a more successful experience for you over the long term
1: today's conversations are a reminder that we all need to take a few deep breaths before making any investing decisions rob what are your takeaways
0: one investing is for money you won't need for at least five years and a time frame of 10 plus years is better the stock market is no place for your home down payment money two Be careful with stock market risk. Add bonds or GICs to take the edge off a stock market decline. The pain of losing money in a stock market downturn is worse than the regret you'll feel in missing out on big gains. 3. Forget about trying to time stock market ups and downs, even if everybody at some point thinks they can do this. Try to invest regularly, say every time you get paid. If stocks crash, add some more money if you can.
1: Thank you for listening to Stress Test. This show was produced by Kyle Fulton and Emily Jackson. Our executive producer is Kieran Rana. Thank you to Daryl and Tages for joining us.
0: You can find Stress Test wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star rating and share it with your friends.
1: On the next episode of Stress Test, we talk about how expensive it is to be a student. The big problem is tuition. It's the rising cost of living, especially in Canada's largest cities.
0: Until then, find us at theglobamail.com. Thanks for listening.